we are back from Kenya and finally it feels like a comeback for us because we've been away for a while haven't we oh yeah it's been a while <laughs> we've been getting a lot of emails of like where are you guys uh, but we were <laughs> I thought we were very clear on the season two ended mm, yeah and then I'm gonna go to Sweden and uh, we have a little bit vacation and then we're gonna meet up in Kenya yep 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 and uh I know while we were in Kenya, we did some work on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, people, I know people saw us then, but maybe those that aren't following us on Twitter and Instagram, what are you doing first? <laughs> but uh, maybe then, yeah, it was like, these guys have been away for a while. Yeah. We were in Kenya for like a week and a half or so. Exactly. Uh, and on like a month-long break before then, so it's been a while since we've sat here and done what we're doing right now. I agree. I agree. And it's good to be back um, for sure because there's uh, so much exciting things going on right now. You know, we yeah. are working on the podcast documentary. We're working on the video documentary that will we that we will release end of March, hopefully. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Um, but, you know, being in Kenya, being back home in Sweden, there is so much more to soccer than just wrestles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, there's... People talk about stance. People talk about the history, the facts. You know, that that's, that's, that's all fine, you know? But there is also something in soccer that means so much more, you know? The individuals, they are players. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the characters and the, the personalities of each individual... Uh, it's so different. It just goes to show how soccer is football is so different to each person, right? It's so different across the world to each culture, to each individual person, I'd say. Yeah, and uh, the first time me and you started to play in a team was with a team full of uh, people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. What countries were the guys coming from, man? Can you say some of the nations? It's been a while since uh, we first started, but I mean... Obviously the U.S., but then you had Venezuela, mm -hmm. I remember. Jamaica, I believe. Colombia. Colombia. Um, India. Yes, and Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously me, Swedish. Yep, yep. And we also had a Swedish guy and a Danish guy for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, the, the list is like that, you know? And we were in a team called Diversity in our soccer. Mm. Guardians of Diversity was the team name, basically. Right. And I was the captain, and Kerry was the... Star guy. player. Star player, <laughs> star player, the guy that makes the assist, and everything else, too. So it was, you know, um, very vivid that people had different characters, styles, the way they talk, the way they even think on the pitch, off the pitch, too. And I think it's good that we were on that team. I enjoyed being on that team because it represented the exactly the, in the name, diversity in our soccer. Since soccer is so diverse, this was a perfect representation of that. And soccer needs to stay diverse, I believe. I agree. I agree. And that's why this episode is going to be very important to listen to, I feel like. Mm. You know, because we are going to play... A interview that we did like a month ago yeah we haven't released it yet because we basically didn't have time we had so many different projects going on but it's a very important topic mm. 
Joanna Loman. Mm. Joe, we call her Joe. <laughs> we're gonna curl, call we're gonna call her soon because she is a player for Washington Spirits in the National Women's Soccer League here in the United States and she's also a Rainbow Warrior. She's a openly gay soccer player and she is very outspoken. She is an activist. She talks about uh, topics to empower females in general as well. Yeah. I saw an Instagram of her. She was like in Washington DC right by I don't know what's it called. Now. Big one, the Washington Monument. Yeah, no, that other one. <laughs> the other one, the Lincoln Memorial. The Lincoln Memorial. Uh, <laughs> she, I think she was at the Lincoln Memorial and had whole, had had a speech, you know, talking about a little bit about her story. So you know, she's also been to Africa, hasn't she? Yes, yes, to I think a couple places in Africa and uh, Africa, including the Ivory Coast, uh, doing work that she's very passionate about exactly like you mentioned empowering women empowering homosexuals through the game of soccer yes so before we make this rant too long we are very happy that we are back and we are happy that we can present an important topic like this to you guys so thank you so much for listening to Oz Oz and King's football Football podcast Hey Joanna, this is Oz, and I have Carrie with me. How are you? I'm good. Um, I've been talking to Carrie for a while, and I said that there is this chick that plays for Washington, and um, <laughs> I've been following her. I've been following you on like Instagram and seen a lot of pictures and new stories. And I told Carrie like, Hey, you know what? This is a really important topic, and we really need to call her and. Um, and so we are really, really pleased, to really have you on happy. The show, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the topic really is, you know, uh, being gay as a sports player. You know, and uh, before we get into the importance and how you know you can express yourself without feeling judged or anything like that, mm. we we, we kind of curious about your football background. So if you can go ahead and kind of. Tell us when did it start and where did it start for you? How did you get into soccer? Yeah, yeah. we're always curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I want to say it's a privilege to be on the show and thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm very excited to share my story and I think my journey would start when I was about six years old. I uh, I found the sport of soccer. I think I found it through a lot of my friends who, when I was younger, I was friends with a lot of a lot of boys and my. I had an older brother, and I played with him and his friends, and my closest friends were boys, and soccer was an outlet for all of this energy that I have. Mm. Uh, I've, I've found that I have an almost endless amount of energy, and chasing a soccer ball was <laughs> the best outlet for that when I was younger, and I think at first it was a way for me to be social and uh, to stay connected with my closest friends, and then... I really took to the sport. I fell in love with it, and uh, I grew up um, in Bethesda soccer, and I played yeah. for the same club for about 10 years, and it was, I always describe it as a very wholesome way of finding the game and growing up through it. It was, when I was younger, it was a meritocracy, and as I'm sure all of us know, merit- meritocracies don't really exist, but the harder I worked, 
made, mm. and it really instilled this mindset within me, you know, the growth mindset that if you if you work at something, you will get better at it, and you will and you will grow. So, you know, my my parents instilled that in me. Um, it was instilled through youth soccer. I I loved the people that I was playing with. My team was my family. My yeah. coach in Bethesda soccer, the one I grew up um, playing with, it was a father of one of my teammates. So it was just a really ideal way of growing up through the game. And it just completely reinforced my love for what that game gave to me. And you know, the love wasn't for the wins or the trophies that, that I received, because in all honesty, you know, my club team was good, but we didn't win any major trophies. Mm. It was purely just for the lessons that it instilled within me and the fulfillment that I got from from just playing the sport. And, you know, I always say to a lot of the kids that I coach and um, to a lot of kids that come to my games, yeah. you know, soccer and, and sport gives you the very unique opportunity to figure out how to win and lose every, you know, every single day. You are, you are falling over, you're having to pick yourself back up again. Um, you're you're part of a team, which is so important that you know this world isn't just about you; it's about how you fit into a larger community. Right. And and that really, you know, those those two lessons have really served me, I think, for um, for the rest of my life, and especially for my career. And I think that's what's given me the longevity. Um, and you know, I played club soccer, then I um, played at Penn State University, and throughout there, I played for the youth national team. And then eventually making it to the full women's national team, um, and I have seven international caps, which isn't isn't that many, but still something to yeah, it's still bigger, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, now here I am going into my I think fourteenth professional season with the Washington Spirit, Woo! and uh, you know, still really, I don't know, I I just the game is is something that I adore. You still enjoy it. I am terrified. Having to retire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first off, I love that you said. I love what you said about uh, how soccer teaches you to, to win and lose and pick yourself back up. Both Oz and I, we coach ten-year-old girls, and um, for me, that's one of the biggest things about coaching—not just kids, but coaching in general—that the life lessons that soccer teaches you, I think, go beyond just winning or losing, but go beyond. There's just uh, uh, the experiences that you learn are just so important. But as you said, it, you really does sound like you had a nice, wholesome experience growing up. I'm just curious, did did you have any sort of uh, hurdles that needed to be overcome at that time? Just because in general, U.S. soccer uh, around that time was still sort of finding its feet. It wasn't exactly as mainstream as it is, or not quite mainstream, but uh, as popular as it is nowadays, were there any any sort of difficulties that you had growing up? Yeah, I think you know you always face obstacles and challenges, and U.S. soccer was structured much differently than it was now. Right. Um, I'm sorry that it is now. So, you know, originally, you know, I tried out for the state team, and then I made the state team, and then you go to your regional team, and then I made the regional team, and. And then I, you know, I played for the regional team, and then eventually made the youth national team. And I was never necessarily the best player, but I always, I always knew that I wanted to get further. So mm. I think the real obstacle was, okay, how do I continue to figure out how do, how do I get better every single day? How do I improve? And how do I find you know, those, those inches in sports that really separate you from from your peers? 
And because the discrepancy between players is so small at a certain level that you really have to figure out what works for you. Right. So that's a big part of it. It's like, you know, what, what were the habits that I formed? What were the routines that I formed that allowed me to be at my best? Because every single person is unique. And what works best for me may not work best for the person next to me. So it's really just problem solving and adapting to, and figuring out, you know, how to really push myself as a player. And on top of that, get your schoolwork done. Make mm. sure you, know, you still have a social life, right? I still want it to be balanced. How can I still hang out with my friends? How can I still be um, a great family member? Yeah. And how can I do well in school? And all, all of that's hard. As you get as you get higher in the ranks, that's very hard to juggle all of those things. So you're constantly trying to really, you know, put together these puzzle pieces in order to make this, this beautiful vision that you have. I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree, you know, you kind of have to find a schedule or plan or routine that works for you, you know, and sometimes it might be too much, but you do it for, especially um, my experiences that I did it for my own personal growth and, and development, right? And um, we are pretty similar in the way that, you know, I eventually, I'm born and raised in Sweden, so I eventually went to college in university in Sweden and I was playing at the same time and we were practicing, you know, four or five times a week with games and, um, you know, at what part of your career, you said that you went to the college and you wanted to be a soccer player. Um, after college, like that decision that I want to be a player, professional player yeah. full time for some female, I guess majority of the players are kind of afraid of, can I financially make it, right? Can I go to this club and get decent salary and just 100% make a good living off of it. Yeah. Living off of it. Like, did you have those thoughts when you were in college? And, and how did you kind of overcome and just say, hey, you know what? I believe him. I can't do it. Like, what was your thought process? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, I'm sure you guys remember in 1999, the Women's World Cup team. Mm-hmm. They won they, they won the World Cup in the Rose Bowl. And I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. Uh, still in my youth club, and the Women's World Cup team traveled to D.C. to meet the president, and they invited a lot of the youth players to come and to greet them. Mm. And when I saw them get off the bus, and I saw how they were received, and just the way they carried themselves, and and what they had accomplished, not only winning the World Cup, but basically building all of women's soccer and putting it on their shoulders. It was all the work that they put in, like, that filled that stadium, and I saw them, and I knew the moment that I saw them, I thought to myself, this is who I want to be when I grow up. Nice. And it was a, it was a life-changing moment for me. So that was um, right after the 99 Women's World Cup, and I was about to go into college, and that's when they launched the first ever league. The WUSA was after the Women's 1999 World Cup. And so all throughout college, I knew that um, I could aspire to be a women's professional soccer player. When I was younger, yeah. teachers would ask, oh, Joe, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say, I want to be a professional soccer player. And it would somewhat last because the profession didn't even exist. Mm. So, you know, who, who is this young girl <laughs> saying she wants to be a professional awesome. soccer player right. when it's not even possible? So finally, after the 99 World Cup, that became a reality for me. So all throughout college, there was the league that I knew 
I did well in college coming out, I could I could make it into the professional level. But my senior year, that league folded. Right. And it folded unexpectedly. And all of a sudden, it was like, okay, you know, how do I continue to follow this dream that I have? Right. You know, what is my plan? What is my plan B? And I think playing soccer and learning how, again, how to fail and to pick myself back up again, you learn to be very resourceful and you learn that just because, you know, what you originally wanted um, didn't happen and didn't pan out the way that you thought, you can, I knew I could still figure it out. That's when I started playing overseas. Um, I refused to really give up on my dream. And there was consistently talk of bringing a league back. So it was more of like, okay, how do I fill these gaps? How do I continue to play and get better um, while waiting for a new league to launch? So, you know, it's been a very up and down journey for me. I've been, we've been through two failed leagues. We're in our third league now. And it's luckily very successful and it seems sustainable. But never, um, never really was it, you know, that straightforward. And I think that's made me who I am today by having to, really, you know, figure it out and if I fall to land on my feet and to just try to keep going. You know, for Oz's sake, since he did say that he is Swedish and uh, when he found out that you did play a little bit in Sweden, he can guarantee he got kind of excited. So, (laughs) yeah, just could you just uh, how your experiences in Sweden were just for his sake? Absolutely. I played for a team called uh, Baninge, who I don't even know if he's still in existence, but it was in the top league and the um, in the top Swedish league for the women. And I was coming off an injury; I had had back surgery just recently before that, so I wasn't 100%. And I actually struggled um, with my health while over in Sweden. So um, I love the country; I I love the league. But as an athlete, I wasn't where I wanted to be. So I think that was really difficult for me. And you know, I think it was after that season where you really you don't feel like yourself and yeah i came back to the states and there wasn't a league in the states and i that was really one moment where i questioned maybe this is you know maybe i shouldn't be playing soccer you know all i thought about was my back injury and just wanting to run again without pain and so my time in sweden wasn't necessarily what i wanted it to be but i really i love the people i love the culture and i wish that um, you know i was healthier but again i think it's part of my journey and it really helped me to um figure figure out who I was and kind of what I wanted. I mean, sometimes we get, not sometimes, I mean, it happens, man, that we get setbacks and injuries and um, even other stuff outside of pitch, right? That um, That's why sometimes when we play, we're not really thinking about, uh, we're kind of in our free zone and peace of mind and it's just a harmony. But once you're just on the side of the pitch and just, fucking watching the games and you cannot practice or you cannot play to your full ability that sucks dude so like and it was i guess in that also important stage of your career how did you like kind of get back at it because some people give up you know yeah absolutely and again there's there's no right or wrong answer right everyone's career is unique and different and um as you guys know, I'm also coming off an ACL injury. So um, my recovery post-ACL was very different than my recovery in my back. So when I hurt my back and I came back from Sweden, I decided to take a little bit of a break. I took a break from soccer because there was no league. And it felt right at the time. So I actually started working in commercial real estate. And I 
did really well in commercial real estate. I made a significant amount of money. I learned a lot about myself in the business world. Yeah. And then you know, a year went by, and my back was healing, and I felt healthy again, and I started to play. I started to play pickup, and I started to go out at night and play with men inboard. And I realized that my love for the game, I, I never lost it. And it was great for me to work commercial real estate because I made money that has now allowed me to play women's soccer for so long because, you know, my salary in women's soccer isn't the end-all be-all because I, I have money to fall back on. So mm. that was um, that was a very important piece of, of my journey. Mm. And when I started to play pickup again, I started to find that love. The second league started to come back. And I thought, okay, why don't I give it a shot? And um, so that's when I slowly found my way back into the game. This time, post-ACL, I rehab like a monster, right? Because I've had a team that I could come back to, and I and I'm, I want it so bad yeah. that um, every single day, hours upon hours, I've been working to get my knee back into shape. And um, I have, you know, looked forward to this coming season. But I think that, you know, that it's very important for people to understand that it, it depends on where you are in your life. And there's no exactly, there's no exact one journey for each person. Right. And I wouldn't change anything that um, that I chose to do, you know, after my back, and I wouldn't change anything I chose to do after my ACL. Um, I think that both of them are very important pieces of, of who I am now, and um, clearly, you know, very different paths I took to come back and be healthy again. But I think that's what's natural, and that's what felt right for me in that moment. So, Drano. Where were you in your life when you decided to come out to your teammates and uh, pretty much go public with that decision? I was 21 years old when I came out, and I was just finishing, I just finished my college career. Mm. So um, I was, at the time, um, just before that, I was engaged to a man. So I kind of did a, a 180. I always say to people that I came flying out of the closet and I got hit by the gay sticks, but <laughs> uh, so that's kind of how it was for me you know I didn't grow up thinking that I was gay and I couldn't express my sexuality and I was nervous about it I just I wasn't as self-aware and when you get to college you're really able to explore a lot of things in life and so I learned um, that part about myself that you know I I knew I was gay and I I'm kind of a person that really you know I want to live genuinely and authentically so once I, mm. I found that out I, I pretty much just went I went down that path and I never really came out to my teammates because I was in a transition spot. I was going between college and my next team, wherever I would, would have joined. And um, like I said to you guys, I came flying out of the closet. So I just you know, started living my life. And there was never really a point in my career where I had to sit down with my team and say, hey, guys, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I just lived, um, you know, unapologetically all the time. And so it was – and then I cut my hair and – I kind of fell into this, you know, this visual stereotype of what a lesbian looks like. So it was written all over me by mm. the way I carried myself, the style that I had. And so it was never a conversation that um, I had to have with my teammates. It was just, it was a lifestyle that I lived. And I think people truly appreciate that because there's nothing hidden. And I'm very open with who I am that I think people, it really encourages people to be open with who they are. I really appreciate that your honesty and that you direct. Um, it's uh, it's hard for people, man. We come a long way, you know. We come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. I feel like, and um, if you look, I mean, I have friends, female soccer friends that are gay, but when you look in the 
male side is not as open and, and uh, I'm curious if you have any idea why that is. I think there's, you know, a strong social stigma to being gay in, in men's sports. I think it's still a very macho arena. And the, I think the perception is if you come out to be gay, you'll be seen as, you know, less masculine. It will demasculinize mm. you. And um, I think people are afraid of that. I think on the women's side, it's almost the opposite stereotype where many people believe that you are gay if you play sports. Mm. So... Um, especially in women's soccer in the United States, it's very, for me, it's very safe to be gay. Yeah, even Sweden, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a, everything has, you know, a positive and a negative side to it. I think that's, that's an incredible thing to feel safe. And yeah. I know that I'm so privileged to get to go to work every single day and be 100% myself. And yeah. not only do people accept it, they actually adore me for being, for being this out gay professional athlete. So, you know, and having traveled so much and having seen the world as as a gay woman and, you know, I'm able to take a, a step away from this, this safe bubble women's soccer and see that it's not safe around the world. And so for me, it's so important. And this privilege that I have is viewed as a responsibility to stand up for people in my community who feel like they're forced into silence. So I want to have a voice. I want to put my hand up and say, this is, this is who I am. And... I am unapologetic about it, and I and I'm proud of who I am because there are so many women around the world that are pushed into the corner and are, are given no voice yeah. and feel so unsafe to be who they are. So, if I can if I can help in any way um, to bring about you know, equality and justice, that's someone that you know, I really want to be. And um, that's you know, in the end of my career and really my whole career, I've I've wanted to be very open and honest and. Um, because it's it's not necessarily something that everyone can do. So that's a really important piece yeah. to me. I'm curious. Um, Thank you, by the way. I'm curious. Um, how did after you you're coming out and you know you like you say you just lived life the way you wanted, the way you felt natural to you, which is great. Did it affect your football at all? Affect your soccer at all? Because I know some. Maybe not, maybe not, but I know with some uh, people that I hear, stories that I hear, they sort of keep this these feelings bottled up inside them, and then just their performances on the field don't, you know, aren't up to standard, and then they let themselves go, and all of a sudden they feel much more free, and the performances pick up. Uh, I don't know if you went through anything like that, but do you think, uh, did you go through anything like that, or, or, or is there any reason why you think that is? Yeah, no, I, I did go through something like that. I think that I came back to Washington, D.C. In, for the 2015 season. And before that, I spent a decade flying around the world and around the country. And it wasn't until I came home that I could I felt like I truly embraced like every piece of who I was. Um, I think it's hard as a women's soccer player. You're consistently on the move. It's a very transient lifestyle. And... There's not much stability to it. So there's always a layer of uncertainty and doubt. And I think that creeps into how you play. And it's it's hard to feel like your life is balanced when you're only in a city to be a soccer player. Mm-hmm. So when I came home and I got to play in front of my family and my friends, people who accept me unconditionally, and the city, I feel like the city of Washington, D.C. accepts me unconditionally, that I can be so brave and I feel so much courage to be myself. I had my best, had my best two seasons. I yes. think as a professional in 2015 and 2016. And 
you know, I don't want to sell myself short. I, I work hard in soccer, of course I do, but I think that was really because I was so happy mm. as a human because I felt loved, I felt accepted, I felt like I was part of a community where I was able to thrive. And every day I went to training, I was, I was so present. I was so happy to be there in the city playing for the Washington Spirit. You know, I would I would take a bullet for this team, and I think that goes that goes such a long way um, into your on field performance. And I think all of it is just it's all encompassing. And I think if you're if you're happy in your in your personal life, that will really bleed into your professional life. Uh, Joanna, as we did a little bit of talking um, on Twitter and emails before this interview, and um, I think, you know, we plan on going to Kenya uh, for a documentary in about a month or so, um, two different countries, two opposite sides of Africa. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did go to the Ivory Coast to do some work there. Can you uh, explain on what your experiences were there? Yeah, of course. I went to Ivory Coast. This year and the year before that, I went to Botswana. Mm-hmm. Did some work in Botswana also. And um, the program I ran in Botswana was called Girl Power. So it was a program um, using soccer as a vehicle for women's empowerment and gender equity. And then the program that I ran in, in Cote d'Ivoire, the one that I just got back from, it was a program revolving around reconciliation because they've had a lot of violence in Cote d'Ivoire up until 2011. So two very different programs. And... Um, the program in, in Cote d'Ivoire, it was very powerful. It was, this was the third phase um, of the program, and so therefore it had a, a lot of momentum going into it. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of marketing for it. We, um, we were hosting soccer festivals around the country, and we were hosting soccer festivals with a group of teenagers that were hand-selected, basically, and, the, and they were called the Champions of National Unity. Sounds like a lot and, of fun. It was um, in the first days of the program. The State Department went around the country and and you know taught these lessons through soccer, these reconciliation lessons. So tolerance, respect for the law, nonviolence, uh, leadership, teamwork, and they chose the individuals that they felt like really demonstrated these lessons the best. And then they they filmed they filmed them, put the videos on YouTube, and the country voted by a text message of who they thought wow. you know, the top twelve <laughs> champions were. So they created this, this, this champion, and um, they sent eight of them to the United States. And coincidentally, they came to D.C. and came to a Washington Spirit game, so I was able to meet them. Ooh. And then I went over to Cote d'Ivoire. So I'd already seen, I've already seen the kids, and they had gotten to know me. And this is the third phase of the program where we travel around the country and you know highlight these teenagers and what they've accomplished um, through you know the lessons that they've learned. Crowds were incredible thousands of people in the local <laughs> oh my world. god and uh, it's a culture that i very much appreciate because they love music and they love to dance yes. so yeah. music playing throughout the day and uh you know and then you have thousands coming out for this festival we would play an exhibition game um i would play with the champions and we'd play against each other and in this game you know you couldn't foul each other you know very um well, you know, respect and all the lessons that we learned were, were showcased through this game, and then we would host the festival for all of the, you know, the players in the local community. So it was just, it was an amazing experience. It was almost overwhelming at times with the crowds, and you can imagine that someone like me being dropped into a little village in Africa, it's like an alien that's come from outer space. <laughs> so the reception that I got was, was incredible and intense. 
and you know selfies everywhere. <laughs> People reaching out to me, wanting to touch me. Yeah. And you know, I love to dance, so I'm I'm always dancing. And I was just about to dance. ask if you could keep up with them with the uh, with them and their yeah, dancing. Yeah, no, no, I I never I seen I never seen Kerry dance, so maybe he will dance in Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> you better start. You better start I have a feeling that they'll bring it out of me somehow. <laughs> I mean, uh, that you know that it sounds really amazing what you did in in Cote d'Ivoire, and you know we gotta go to Kenya, and we're really curious about the Kenyan football. So we gotta interview players, fans, coaches, and we're also gonna you know, talk to some charity organizations and kind of understand how we can contribute in our own way. But it's like you said, man, you know, I feel like me and Kerry are kind of the, we are the kind of the platform for, yeah, people to share their stories and kind of tell their journey and kind of bring this content to everyone so they can also get inspired and go through the same journey in their own way everyone everyone have their own i guess i call it spiritual evolution um but kind of very important you know i feel like very important that we start appreciating what we got and also show more and more love towards ourselves because it is that bully in our head sometimes that stops us from taking the next steps you know and um, we are very thankful that you came on the show and we here in us and king's football podcast can deliver this to our listeners you know so we really appreciate that you joined us it's excellent stuff um yeah no i i think what you said is very poignant i think everyone needs to define their own journey and that's what i often say that you know all we can really do is try to shine a guiding light and yeah. you know, each person has to take each step so um that's what I try to do is just take it one day at a time, right? Because yeah. there's really no guarantees and you just have to control what you can and that's a hard thing to accept and it's a hard thing to figure out what pieces you can actually control but, you know, if you if you really try to love and accept yourself and, and take that journey with an open heart and open mind, I think that you'll find no matter where you end up, um, you'll really feel like it's been a beautiful process. Absolutely. And I think we did our job today didn't we <laughs> yeah, i think so it was an excellent interview uh thanks again joanna um and good luck with your next steps yeah thank you guys for wanting to talk about these topics and good luck in kenya and i can't wait to see what what comes of it awesome awesome good luck with everything have a good one all right thanks guys i'll talk to you soon yes bye When you listen to someone like Joanna, it's easy to be jealous, like jealous in the way of, wow, she's so she's so secure in herself. Sure. She is so, um, no kind of exactly who she is, you mm. know, and she also has like a personal purpose 
in life that you know she plays soccer but at the same time she's active yeah and talking about topics that is very important for her and for many millions of people out there in the world as well yeah yeah and unfortunately i think a lot of people are still struggling with that i guess their identity in that sense mm -hmm. you know um they aren't comfortable with who they are or they're too afraid to show their true colors you know um and it can be tough it can be tough i'm sure uh a lot of people go through this sort of crisis in the head whether they're gay or straight but male or female but we got the perspective i feel like from a female side yeah and i know uh girls that are lesbians that play football but i don't really know any male even and this is back in sweden like, sure, sure, sure. yeah um, and even on the professional scene, there aren't yeah, a lot I mean, of male that have come out. I mean, but MLS Robbie Rogers a few years ago came out and made pretty he big headline news. I think I could be completely wrong about this, but I think he was like the first uh, athlete to play in the top level of any North American sport mm -hmm. at the time, it's like to be actively playing uh, while having come out. Uh, but other than him, there aren't. I see maybe news pop up every now and then, but on the women's side, though, you're right. I feel like you see a lot more that we, yeah. you've played with personally and professionally. Some big name players. You have Joanna, and of course you have like Megan Rapinoe, yeah. Abby Wambach, yeah, yeah. P.S. Hagen, exactly. right? Exactly. Some exactly. big prominent players yeah. that have that yeah. have come out, but, but not so much it, on the men. It's not. It's not. And now when we talk to Joanna, I feel like we should talk to some uh, guys too. You know. And me and you have two good friends that we know very well. These two like good friends of ours, Jason Brooks, Adam McCabe, are um, people we've actually wanted to get on the show for a while. Exactly. Since we started the show, they were people we had our eye on. Like, we, let's make sure we get them on to talk about their experiences, their perspectives on the game. Um, and especially here, with, here in Atlanta, with Atlanta United just finishing its first season, and with the soccer community booming over the past year or so, um, it's nice to now have see how the whole, I guess, if there's perspective has changed if at all with Atlanta United coming in and now that they're up and close to have, to have the soccer community in their face if, if the, you know, the treatment of homosexual players is positive or negative or what they think on it. We met with them and we started a walk to a coffee shop nearby. I saw something like her name is Joanna Lomas. I thought it was a Swedish player first. Uh, so I kind of clicked her Instagram account. Uh. And then I saw like she's very outspoken, honest, transparent, being articles. Where is she? Where is she from? She's, she's from, she's from the US. She's oh, from right. Portland, yeah. Maryland. Uh -huh. So, so uh, they caught my eye. And then I, for a long time, I wanted to have you yeah, yeah, yeah. in the show, but I never really knew how we would it tie it in. Yeah. 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 So now we have her. Hopefully, we can talk to you guys a little bit. So, I know you wrote, wrote an article. Yeah, I didn't know about that. You didn't know I didn't know that you wrote an article. An article. Which one? I, I, I'm gonna ask her right Did you write one shortly before? Remember once Cameron came here yeah, and interviewed all us? Did you write one shortly before then? Yeah. When Cameron came, you wrote an article that got published. It was it the one about the Atlanta United game? No. 
No, this was you about coming out. That sounds interesting too, though. <laughs> you are coming out. I wrote it or someone wrote it about me? I think you wrote it. What? No, this is more local. <laughs> that's even bigger than fun, yeah. Really? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's got to yeah. me like a long, like a year, over a year ago. Yeah, yeah. It was local? Okay. Um, I remember you. No, but it's only, I only locally I was reading the Atlanta magazine, and yeah. then there's something called the Georgia Voice, maybe that's that. Maybe that, yeah, it's not like a big, yeah, magazine. well that's like, that's something yeah. like you send to something. No, no, no. In a, in that's a, that's a, 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 like an LGBT, like, uh, news Okay, uh, okay. But it was again, like, I... You, I remember you wrote something about the game, too. What was that, what was that about? That was, uh, Taiwan chanting, no? Yeah, so, Cole was very... Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Is it good? No, I'm perfect. You can drink on my coffee. Mm. I've never seen Kerry drink coffee. It's so good. You say you never think seen, seen Gary drink coffee? Yeah, never? Yeah, never. I don't like coffee. Oh. <laughs> I have to start my day with coffee. Um, we talked to Joe Loman. She plays for Washington. Um, and uh, she was very honest and transparent about her story when she came out as a gay player. And she also mentioned like the struggles as a female player when it comes to finance. She always had this uh, uh, urge to become a soccer player. And she, you know, she also said that everyone have their own journey. And uh, it's important topics, man. Me and Kerry feel like this type of issues and stigma needs to kind of get rid of in the sports world because soccer is so much more unity love compassion but still I feel like this is a area that hasn't really been addressed or is not easily talked about so we felt like we need to call her and kind of get her perspective and as we talked to her we were like hey man why don't we call Jason and Adam and kind of get it a more from a male perspective or from you know, their experience here in the United States and how they've seen it. So, um, thank you guys for joining Oz and King's Football Podcast. Uh, I want to introduce Jason Brooks. Jason, say hi. Thank you for having me. You know, I was curious. Yeah, no problem. And we also have Adam McCabe. Hey guys, thanks for uh, <laughs> letting me be a part of this. Adam, you played in England. Yes, I did. <laughs> was it fun? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's growing up, that was like my dream. It, or, yeah, it was what I aspired to do. So, um, when I got that chance, um, for me, it was every moment I was over there, I was, you know, in heaven, basically doing what I, what I always wanted to do. Did you really feel like a professional? Was it kind of that atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, it was wake up, soccer, <laughs> uh, go to the weight room, go watch film, go to sleep, wake up, soccer, eat, go do some conditioning in the pool, right. whatever, I mean, it was all soccer, it was, uh, the dream. playing some of the best academies in the world, and, um, I mean, in England, it's, it is, football is life, so, yeah, it was definitely the, definitely the, the dream I was looking for. 
speaking of a place where football is life, I know that you went to, you lived in Argentina for a while. I did. And uh, it's just a whole other level there, isn't it? Uh, the, the experience uh, when it comes to the Argentine soccer, uh, you know, it's just something out of this world. They live, breathe, and die soccer. Uh, it's a, it was a great experience, learned a lot. In fact, the majority of playing and coaching experience was learned by uh, Los Barrios, Los Chicos and Los Barrios. So, uh, that was a great experience. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, when it comes to uh, homophobia, however, in Latin America, of course, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a stigma. Uh, however, um, I, I tend to see that, you know, when, when people actually know who you are, and they're more accepting. I think the culture in general is more accepting. I don't have the statistics on Latin American culture and how accepting, but I think with when it regards to England, I think, you know, the British culture is more also accepting of that. I think they did a poll, a recent poll, you know, 80% of, you know, British fans are more likely to accept an openly gay uh, national player. Um, there actually have been uh, a couple, but they haven't actually been open. Uh, they've retired and come out. So, you know, it's... You know, it's one of those things where the transition will happen sooner yeah. or later. Where we'll, you know, the United States may have you know their first openly male gay Bobby soccer Rogers. player uh, for the national yeah. team. I know that it's unfortunate that he couldn't yeah. continue. He yeah. retired as yeah. well. Um, he, I mean, still was strong. he not? Was he on the national team? Did at he actually? One point, but not, but not as a not as an out athlete. Not as an out athlete. Yeah. Yeah. He came also out after his career, right. but it's still strong that he did it. You know, and that's that's not easy um for you jason in like when you went south america or even u.s do you feel like you open up that personal side of you once you know the person mm -hmm. or is it something like you feel like you know what i'm proud of it so i, right. I can't I can, yeah. uh, say it okay so, um i think it all depends on the the person and the the environment that you that you're in I know uh, when in regards to Atlanta, we're more of an yeah. accepting uh, community, which makes the, you know, being openly gay uh, more easy. Uh, however, you know, you go 20, 20 miles outside of 285, you know, the conversation differs, you know, the yeah. community differs. So, yeah. you know, you can't really be who you may want to be. I think it's important that, of course, you know, you feel comfortable in your skin. But you have to build respect and the rapport through your community. You know, it takes, like, training and coaching and people seeing that you're able to do what you do yeah. uh, as a soccer player. Uh, and then that shows for itself there, basically, of course, judging the character, not the content. You right. feel me? Uh, so uh, that's how I feel about that. Yeah. Uh, can I ask when both of you, I guess, came out or when you came out to yourselves? Can I ask both of that? Um, really uh, no, 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 it's just, it's a hard question, because I dated women, uh, yeah. even when I was in England, I quote-unquote dated women, or I sought women, um, but again, that was like a facade I was putting on, um, I probably knew, knew, uh, when I transitioned, I did, I did a year at Vassar College before I went to England, um, in Vassar's upstate New York, like, super liberal, it was like, uh, it used to be all-female school, so it's super, super liberal, um, and it was like the first time I uh, was hit on by a man. And I think I was like, oh, I kind of, I'm responding to this positively. Um, and so that's when I kind of knew. Um, I don't think I really accepted it until I moved back to Atlanta. So that was in 2015. So kind of when I was again, like Robbie, like kind of taking a break from my career, right, yeah, I was like, I've got to focus on me. Um, so that's when I accepted it. But I think I knew 
much earlier on. Uh, sure, yeah, of course. I came out when I was, uh, I think, my senior year in high school. I came in. Was this, sorry, was this publicly or just once you uh, just figured out yourself? That, that was more publicly. Figuring it out, of course, you know, as a younger age, of course, yeah. But, you know, um, as a, you know, I guess growing into uh, a young teenager and, and actually, you know, knowing what's actually going on uh, with your body and stuff, that, yeah, of course, I think senior year, I felt more comfortable to, to come out. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, an experience in itself because I went to a Christian school as well. So uh, it was kind of a closed-minded society. Uh, so I I, uh, I wasn't out to everybody, you know, but of course to some close friends and uh, my family. I mean, strong down, man, strong down because uh, it's always you. I assume that if you are at a school like with close-minded people, you tend to feel judged or you tend to feel mistreated you have to be like you know what it's me it's me it's me and it can be an ongoing battle always you know to kind of be like you know what let them have their thoughts I know me 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 but when it comes to like football on the pitch with your teammates have you ever felt like you won't be accepted in that scene absolutely not absolutely not I've never put myself in that and I've never surrounded my myself with those type of people um you know I'm, I'm a i'm a good as as well as i can tell a good you know person on filling energies out you know yeah. and if, if i feel like the energy is wrong for me with those you know with the person then you know i won't i won't entertain them right. you know but uh lo and behold i, I surrounded myself with great people yeah. and uh seem that they're more accepting and again i think I mean, we're in one of the most international cities in the in the country. So you know, when you get down to it, I think the you know minority ethnicity, the you know the the openness that we have in Atlanta, you know, it makes that easier. You know, it really does make it easier. Um, I couldn't. I don't know if Athens would be a place where I would feel as comfortable right. to be myself, or or even in in Alabama. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. you know. I mean, it's just one of those places where you know it's good to be in a in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. Uh, I don't again even maybe in Europe you know I don't I, I hear they're more liberal out there too you know like I would love to go out to Europe and I've never been actually so I would love to go and, and kind of feel the vibe out there at one point yeah right you want to go for the vibe with me Gary shoot we can do that bro come man tomorrow there you go oh that's right so yeah there you go uh, one thing that we um, one thing that we asked Joanna was um, the difference between uh, what's how would you say it? The difference between females, not necessarily females coming out, but the whole, I guess, I'm the best way to put it. I mean, it was like, I have a lot of female friends in the soccer that has come out. And it feels like it's almost easier, if you know what I mean, for them to come out. More accepted for them to come out. But on the men's side, it maybe is a bit more Like, I don't know any... Rare. Yeah, I don't know any big star or any... I mean, I know so many, you know, male football players, you know? Yeah. But out there, too, in the world, you know, it's dominated by men. But you still don't hear people um, coming out or owning into it. And it kind of feels like some might even have a secret life in that sense, you know? Do you guys feel like it is like that? Or uh, what do you think maybe that not, is? Maybe yeah, maybe don't, yeah. Well, statistically speaking, there's going to be uh, gay men soccer players, professional. Um, yeah. So they're definitely yeah. like leading this, living this double life. Um, 
And I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I don't. I still don't know. I can't put my finger on why. I think a lot of it has to do with like uh, the for women, they're not on. You know, their games aren't televised. They're not kind of in the spotlight as much unless you're on the national team. So, you know, you can kind of be out on your local club team and it's not going to be like breaking headline news. Um, I think it also has to deal with, like in the U.S., our, I mean, Abby Wambach was yeah. the biggest U.S. soccer player and she was, you know, part of the LGBT community, Megan yeah. Arpino. Those are like our big stars. Yeah. And once you see like the big star, I think it's a bit accepted and... I think it's, um, I would have loved if Robbie could have been on the national team. I think yeah. that could have would have helped break that barrier a bit. Um, I just, I don't know. I, 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 that's a great question. I'm mm -hmm. still trying to figure out why in the women's, it's why it's so much, I guess, I don't want to say easier because it's still, it's not an easy right. thing, but easy, I think yeah. it's a bit, it's a, it's a bit uh, more accepted for them, and I don't know if it's, it has to have to do with coaching, like how the coaches, different coaching styles, different like uh, intensity of the coaches. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. a it's 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 a tough one. You think maybe the perception of uh, the I don't know if ideal ideal male or just perception of a typical male plays a part of it. Why maybe being gay goes against what you think of a standard male to be. So they're kind of nervous because they don't want people to think of them as anything less of a man. Of course, homophobia plays a plays a huge role in that. Uh, however, uh, when it comes down to to like Adam Adam says, I mean, I think culturally acceptable. I think women have it easier because I, I, for some reason, maybe make it media. You know, call yeah. it the media. I don't know. Uh, but when when it when when you talk about you know the male soccer player, you know, right? You you look at all these these dominant male players and they're always the best but you know who's who's no I mean statistically speaking like Adam said 20 there's going to be at least 20 you know gay male yeah. professional athletes in the in EPL right now okay. because of that statistic so you know it could be that you know Zlatan Ibrahim Cherry came you know who, who Christian yeah. Ronaldo whoever yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be yeah. but they can't because you know they are sponsored and I think that goes down you know to it, I think that's that might be it. You know, the sponsors. You know, these people are making a lot, a lot of money. Um, you know, culturally speaking, you know, sponsors. You know, they they fund they fund you. Uh, you know, when I say a players, a lot, a lot of money. So you know, they have to they have to act a certain way. They have to portray themselves a certain the way. Um, I mean, you touched a pretty good spot. I'm sorry, but it's like it's a little bit about the culture, right? Yeah. You know, like the culture to kind of raise to the top is, you know, kind of focus on your your playing rather than your private life. Right. And once you get to that, it's maybe be too big of a step to take the risk, right. you know? And Joe told us that um, she felt that it's maybe more safe for the females to come out than males, and there could be something in it. Um, and I think we need to talk more, you know? Like, I, we need to talk more, we need to discuss more, we need to have the conversation more, and uh, even for the youth coaches, the coaches coming out, need to have this topic, you know? And I think the dialogue is there uh, now. I mean, I took a certification in diversity training, and we we talked and touched on these issues. You know, you know, in in different settings, you know, in, in different cultures, you know, things are going to be more acceptable than others, right? Uh, <coughs> words, you know, 
sayings and, yeah. and expressions, you know, but it can be, you know, that same expression can be very, you know, uh, hurtful to some your, one of your teammates, you know, not knowing it, you right. know, and, and so it, it, it's the more culturally, I guess, you know, the more you learn, the more you know, you know, the different cultures, I think, the better you are as a person. And, yeah. and out of that, you're going to be more accepting of, of different types of people and right. different types of, you know, situations, I think, yeah, for me at least. And, you know, women, uh, you know, I can't speak on behalf of, of women. Uh, and I, their experience is way different than men. But at the end of the day, you know, accepting people who they are, women, I mean, we should all be equal. I mean, that's how I see it. So, you know. Uh, that's how I feel. Adam, did you? Well, I was going to uh, a point that we, um, when we talk about males coming out. Um, I think another big thing why like there hasn't been a big player, and um, I've talked to a lot of people in like British media about this, is they don't... Uh, you As a footballer, you want to be known for like your what you do on the field, right? You mm-hmm. want to be known for your statistics, mm-hmm. that you know, you won this championship, whatever right. it may be, you help this team get promoted. Yeah. And I think people are afraid that if they were like, quote unquote, the first to come out, their legacy is going to be you are the, no, gay, no, the gay football no. player, you're the gay one, you're mm-hmm. the first gay one. And I think it's like a double-edged sword for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, they want to be that role model, but also it's like, I want to be known for my football, right? Mm-hmm. Not for my sexuality and I think that's a huge like issue right now for people is you know the British media have been trying to work or the FA are trying to work with the EPL and get like a group to come out mm-hmm. and that's still it's still going to be this whole like blown up media circus it, yeah. and it's going to be you know the gay ones you know the gay group and mm-hmm. it's again it's going to be not what they want to be known for or not what they're there for it's not to discuss their sexuality it's that they're there for the football and I think that's um the media right now is kind of, again, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's going to help, but it's also going to hinder these people. And I think that's a big reason right now why a lot of people are, are kind of on the fence about coming out. I think, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, there's a lot of good campaigns, I guess, again, yeah. to follow on, yeah. piggyback off of what Adam is saying. There are a lot of good campaigns at the EPL. Even yeah. MLS is doing MLS works, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I would love to, I mean, I love to applaud, you know, Miguel Amaron and the Atlanta United Administration for taking that step on, you know, showing that, you know, through different, you know, orientations and mm-hmm. genders, equality and all that stuff, you know, we're all, at the end of the day, we're all equal. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there are programs. Now, are we tolerant of these programs, you know? Uh, I think Adam can ex- can definitely speak about this one because he had a great article about, you know, I mean, I'm, I lived in Latin America, so I can say it, the Puto chat, you know? I was going to bring that up. Well, okay, Kerry, bring it up. <laughs> Go ahead. I was just curious because uh, it's it's particularly with the Mexican national team, I guess that's where I hear it the most, but I hear from others as well. And it does make a lot of news, uh, the Puto chant. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you can say it, though. The I'm chant. Just joking. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I always hear excuses made for uh, the behavior of their fans, mm-hmm. saying that in their culture is not necessarily just, it's, it's just seen as not necessarily bad thing or derogatory it's just I guess a label but not mm-hmm. necessarily in a bad way um, and I've heard that for other things too like with race like mm-hmm. I've heard like Negrito mm-hmm. whereas here in the US if you just call, label someone like a black person or the black one or something then that's kind of seen as derogatory Absolutely. but in Latin America it's just not viewed that way no, so I was wondering so, very loving right. saying actually Negrito in Argentina mm-hmm. if you're Negrito that means you're, you're, you're a very loving person so it's, it's interesting you know yeah yeah for sure um, but let me let me actually speak on on that. So yeah, I mean you have both arguments. You have for and against mm-hmm. it, right? You have for it 
it's culture, you know? I mean, we're saying it just because this is what we say when the ball gets kicked from, from the goalie, you know? I mean, that's yeah. just, it is what it is, you know? And we laugh about it. But in reality, you know, you are you are pointing out a, a minority of people that feel like that particular word is, again, you know, very hurtful, you know? Um, I don't say it when I go to soccer games. I've been to the Mexican and now U.S. Yeah, national yeah. game. You know, I've, I've actually, you know, called people out. And, mm -hmm. Okay, you know, I guess Adam could talk more about that too. But at the end of the day, um, the Mexican national team came out against it. Which I applaud again the national yeah. team for taking steps to 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 nip that very quickly because you know FIFA, I think has uh, penalized the national team and the fans times. multiple times. Yeah. So I mean I think people are taking steps to where they you know bring the awareness. But again, you're talking about culture. You're changing yeah. somebody's culture, yeah. um, and that's a very stick you know very stick, sticky topic you know. And so um, that's how I feel, Adam. <laughs> yeah, Adam, you wrote an article about it. Yeah, um, uh, I'll give some background. Yeah. Um, so I took my uh, my boyfriend to an Atlanta United game, the first one. Um, it was his first professional soccer experience. Um, and, uh, I mean, the I think the crowd at that game was a mixed bag of people. I don't say it, it's like our regular season holders, so this has nothing to go against, like Atlanta United season ticket holders or, mm. that, in general, like Atlanta United fans. But... Um, as uh, um, who is the the Robles, the New York Red Bulls? Oh, yeah. uh, as every single time he took a goal kick, you know, um, the crowd, uh, uh, part of the crowd was chanting Puto. And you know, this is my boyfriend's first game, and he's, you know, doesn't really know what's going on, but he's kind of like, all right, whatever. And after like the sixth or seventh time, you know, he turns over and he says, Adam, what is Puto? Why are they chat? Why are they saying this? And um, I ignored him at first because I was like, I don't want his first soccer experience yeah. to be like, really, this is what goes on at these games. But um, after like halftime, like again, he asked me, and I kind of just explained where it came from, and you know, I talked about how Mexico, um, the FA, and, and Mexico, they've been working on it and they've been fined. Um, I wouldn't say it soured his mood, but it definitely put like a dent on his overall experience. Um, and again, it was hard because I tried to explain to him it's it's like we've discussed it's a cultural thing. It's very hard. It's like coming for him and trying to take away some of his southern roots and some of the things that he knows and he's been brought up on. It's like it's very hard. And um, anyways, um, we got a lot of bad press. Atlanta United did after that yeah. game um, about the chanting, and um, I had a few people reach out to me about like what I thought, and I just said, well, let me wait a few games and see if it gets better. Um, Thankfully, Atlanta United came out and kind of challenged the fans to do better. And so I just wrote an article on, like, the, I think it was, like, the LGBTQ experience of Atlanta United. And so it was just how I felt about the game, how I, how it made me uncomfortable, but also how, like, Atlanta United has taken steps and uh, the fans got a lot better. So it's, it's, it's good to see Atlanta United change and, like, be proactive with this issue, but it's also... It's it's, um, it's a prevalent issue in football, so there's I think there's still a lot more to do. Yeah, so, I think yeah. if I had to rate any Atlanta United away on you know just on an alphabetical, I would think I would give them a, a B on this one. I think they could do definitely do better. Mm -hmm. uh, the for uh, this like particular for this chance? particular chance, or, okay, yeah, for this particular issue, you know, I would love for the you know 
president to come out and say, you know, we stand by our, our community, Atlanta, together, united. Right. You know, please don't use this like what was done, I think, in Chicago or um, where was it at? I, that? I've got a couple of good friends at Minnesota United. Okay. Um, I mean, it's been done in multiple places. Yeah, yeah, they, like, came out with two or three videos where they had their players, like, in their mother tongue say whatever is, like, um, you know, acceptance or unity in their language and... You know, Minnesota, I think Minnesota United's been the best team because they made, like, two or three videos there. They've had, like, council women or council men and women and people on the board come out and say, like, do not use this language. Mm -hmm. um, so I think Minnesota's kind of leading the way. But, um, yeah, I agree. I mm -hmm. think Atlanta United's doing good. They could do better. Do better. Yeah. Definitely nice. do better in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, but, I mean, it's all learning experience. I mean, yeah, this is their first, sure. first sure, year. Uh, so we'll just see what happens next year. But, uh, again, I think what Atlanta United is doing is they're using a lot of their uh, supporter clubs to pass their, their messages. Right, yeah. Sure. Uh, and uh, and it's gonna be, it's, they're leaving it up to that support base to kind of police their own. Yeah. But, uh, but, I mean, still, at the end of the day, you know, as a leader of a, of a team, you know, I still feel like this should be something that needed to be said and from the top, top down, you know, uh, and, and very transparent that we stand by our Atlanta community. I mean, that's why I love this city, is yeah. because, you know, of course you have people that, that are outliers, you know, you have yeah. those outliers, but still the majority of people you're going to find are just more accepting, and, yeah. and so I, I wish it would have came, you know, in that, that way and not really through just, you know, some some type of, you know, halftime. Like you said, both you said, I think the clubs have a massive importance in this subject regardless. I mean, you, you hear UEFA and FIFA, they have, you know, say no to racism, and they have different campaigns. I was wondering, how much does that actually work? No, it, it works as in, it works as in, a, as it comes as a, almost a shock, right, when Mario Balotelli gets off, or uh, Daniel Alves gets thrown a banana on him. She's very friendly. Yeah? <laughs> I believe it. Very adorable. Hey, what's your name? Greta. That's what she smells. She wants, yeah. She, <laughs> wants, she, wants she likes food. There you go. <laughs> she likes people almost as much. Hey. And that, that, that. Nope. You're not allowed yeah. to eat. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt Beautiful. your conversation. This is but a good She's right. very insistent. This is insufferable. <laughs> She's beautiful. She's like, do I want that water? No. Someone else has had their head in there. <laughs> Very fussy. Have a good Have a day. Good day. Yeah. Thank you. You too. No, that, 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 no one's uh, that. Not that one either. Oh, it's... Oh, sorry. That's all right. It's icing. It's not chocolate. No, no, it's just icing. Oh, that's fine. She'll, she'll survive that. She's eating worse. Well, she's fat. Yeah, she's <laughs> <laughs> She likes it. She's a starver. <laughs> <laughs> um... One uh, last thing I want to talk about is Jason. You you have um, started and also have few fans involved in a nonprofit. Yeah. Um, and diversity in our soccer. Yeah. And um, you've been doing this for a couple of years now. I have. Yeah. And uh, can you describe or tell us a little bit about it, um, please? Sure. Yeah. Diversity in our soccer. Diversity soccer started uh, with a group of like-minded millennials. Uh, we practice at Boulevard Crossing Park. Um, you know, it, it kind of was like pick up, but we were like, well, we should practice, you know, get a good exercise. And then out of that, it kind of involved uh, into more of an organization. Uh, we started to get more young people to come out, uh, which we thought was kind of interesting. 
Um, and, uh, and through that, we were like, well, you know, let's just organize around that concept. You know, the mission, of course, is to provide a positive atmosphere for urban youth through mm -hmm. soccer. And the vision ultimately is, of course, using soccer as a mechanism for social changes and economical changes, you know, to benefit uh, low-income, uh, underrepresented young people. So uh, as, uh, as that platform, we continue to use soccer, build uh, our community. Uh, we're still grassroots, but at the end of the day, we're moving forward and, and changing lives one step at a time, one practice at a time, as I say. Right. Uh, so that's where we've uh, what we do. Of course, uh, I know that you've been out to at, at last. You've been yes. out to the last. So uh, you know, I, I appreciate you guys' support and, and, and growing. And of course, Adam's been involved with uh, the Guardians, the mm -hmm. Supporters Club, and I appreciate that all of you guys in that regards. But yeah. uh, diversity in our soccer is here for a necessary purpose. Uh, until you know the minority becomes a majority, uh, there's always a, a message for somebody that needs to be said. Uh, and we're going to use this vehicle uh, in, until something changes to 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 kind of voice the unheard people. So. I mean, we, thank you for all the hard work you're doing. Appreciate we, that. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. And, and it's uh, fun. I mean, it's just yeah. pretty fun. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Again, like-minded millennials. I, yeah. I surround myself with good people, and right. I think you know, out of that, younger people will see that, and mm -hmm. hopefully, that carries on as like a snowball effect, changing yeah, well. lives and. You know, everybody, uh, you know, becomes, uh, you know, awesome soccer players. And then yeah. in 10 years, we actually look back and be like, <laughs> yeah. remember that time? Yeah, remember that like time. like four people. Exactly. Four exactly. exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's where uh, where it all began. And uh, thank you for uh, giving me the time to, to speak. In Absolutely, man. Also, I'm, just, I'm, sorry, I'm noticing the scarf, too. I think oh, yeah. the scarf, so that's... Oh, yeah. So we were, uh, we, we got invited <laughs> through Resurgence, Atlanta United Supporters uh, Team Club, uh, to participate in their... Uh, their 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 tournament, their fundraiser for soccer in the streets, which is another local uh, nonprofit in the area. Um, so Guardians, our supporters club, uh, was uh, was part of that particular tournament, and uh, we ended up coming in third place in that tournament. Bronze. Uh, but it was a lot of fun carrying yeah, play, uh, and uh, we. I slipped so many times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was at the, at the station. station, soccer station. station. Uh huh. Awesome. But uh, you know, we uh, the cl the clubs uh, that were a part of it and the organizations that were a part of that team. They uh, the the tournament. They they did a nice supporter scarves, and this is actually our first scarf with our symbol on it. And I think it got all the way into uh, the Atlanta United office, so at least they know that we exist. So I mean, they knew we existed. <laughs> they knew we existed actually before before the scarf. But uh, you know, we uh, this is our first big uh, big moment for for us as. As a as an organization, awesome. is what I say, Keep being recognized in, in the city. Well, 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 if you want, you can go to Diversity in the Soccer. Right, right. So, our, yeah. So, yes. to, to to find more information about Diversity <laughs> Soccer, go to www.diversitysoccer.org. You can also find us uh, on Facebook. Uh, we also have an Instagram and Twitter uh, account as well. But uh, you know, I would also. Uh, if you do need to reach out, you can find uh, and contact me directly, jbrooks at diversityinosaka.org. And uh, I also want to give a big shout out to Adam because uh, Adam is an excellent player. And like we all, all know now, he's played in England. And uh, you all have a. Not just England, too. Sorry. Yeah, you played in other countries, too. So he has Slovenia, a. Slovenia? Thailand. Yeah. Slovakia. And now, hopefully, we can improve players through your experience, right? You do individual coaching. Um, can you talk about that? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, I. So, I mean, I'm going to be involved in soccer the rest of my life. Um, and I think it's a natural progression for people who have played the game at 
whatever level they want to pass on their knowledge, right? And they want right. to kind of see that they want to see the game grow. And so, um, uh, uh, last year, a private school here in Atlanta reached out and asked me to be their head boys soccer coach. And I said, "Why not?" You know. Um, and from there, it kind of grew into people saying, "Hey, during off season, can you train me?" And then from there, it was two people to 10 people to 12 people to 20 and um, I just kind of formalized it made it yeah. more of like a business per se because um, when people ask for your card or your website enough times and you don't have anything you, you look a little unprofessional so right. um, I just created um, Atlanta Soccer Training it's just me training um, whether it's your technical skills tactical um, SAQ work or like game analysis and feedback um, I do it all. So, it's a, again, it's just a little part-time thing for me, but it, it, it allows me to pass on my knowledge um, and just keep helping players who want to get better and who aren't just satisfied with, like, the status quo. And I wish I had Adam as a individual coach when I was <laughs> nine. Nine, I say nine. Um, anything else you want to say, Kerry? Uh, not that I can think of. It just it was a great interview. Fun talking. Yeah, I wanted, I do want to say, uh, I like... Um, Adam is one of the most technical players I've ever seen. Just to just to kind of <laughs> throw that out there. He's like, good. Like, he's good. Very technical. He's, he's good. He's all right. I want to thank you guys. I think what you guys are doing is awesome. And again, it shows. Um, I mean, all of us here have kind of done something a little bit extra for this for soccer football because it's such a great sport and a great community. So I applaud all of us here and uh, I want to thank you guys for what you do and um, uh, I know Jason does great work and I just hope the best of uh, luck on your trip thank you. and uh, all your future endeavors yeah. same, I echo the sentiments there yeah. <laughs> thank you guys thank yeah, you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we want to thank again Joanna, Jason and Adam for participating and being a guest on our show it was our pleasure to bring their stories to our life so more people can hear. And if you think this episode was captivating, interesting, or important for others to listen to, please share it on social media. Uh, you can also tag us, Oz and King Football Podcast. Please do. Please help us to grow even more. I mean, we just came home from Kenya, dude. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So soon we will release our new episodes from Kenya, man. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I look forward to it because it, it was quite the experience. And I think the final products are turning out well. Very, very well. That being said, it's good to be back. Back. And... Thank you. Thank you. For listening to... Oz and King's Football, Football Podcast. Podcast. Ba, 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 bam.